Hello one and all and welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. I am extremely sorry for my tens of listeners or ones of listeners out there that missed out on a show on Monday. But for those of you who are unaware of the events that went on this weekend, it was Easter weekend, and I didn't get enough time or maybe I, I, I had enough time because it was two weeks. I could have done it within the two week frame because I've done it. The past four times we released a mock draft, but I didn't get mock draft 5.0 done in time, which is the main reason why I did not record a show on Monday or record a show for Monday. But I can confirm that we do, in fact, have it done. So give Logan a round of applause. Let's get let's give each other a round of applause here. We're getting mock draft 5.0 done. Finally, getting it done. I didn't think I'd get it done, and I'm kind of upset. Over the things that have transpired over these past couple days that I did not get it done in time because I would have looked like a freaking brainiac if I got it done. I guess, well, I guess it's not really... Uh, it could have been looking really cool if yours truly got a couple trades right that proceeded to happen this week. But sadly, I don't know if it's laziness or doubting my... I think it was more of a doubting myself thing and not being sure of what I wanted to do in a mock draft more than laziness because I typed up mock drafts but I just delete them like after a second of finishing the reasoning I'm like nah this doesn't make any sense and then I go back to it after I just deleted it and then I go oh yeah that pick makes sense now and then you have to retype it because you hit this second oh man why did I delete that why was there any reason for me to delete that because now it would have worked out beautifully I had one of those situations when I was typing up the last bits of the mod draft today, right before I record the show, and I had one of those situations like, man, I wish I had this reasoning that I just typed up, that I just deleted, but I don't have it anymore, so now I'm going to have to go back into the brain and try to figure out what I said earlier and try to find out, try to find articles and tweets and stuff like that that I used in my reasoning that I just deleted. So see, it's a lot more complicated. See, we live a hard life here, trying to type up these mock drafts for people. And this was the first time out of the four that we have done that we were actually not on schedule. We were on schedule every single mock draft. Mock draft 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, different stuff. Light. Which is not good. I was having fun. I was, I was liking having that consistent schedule. But then we just got off of it a little bit. And I apologize for that. I wanted to crap it out this weekend, but I had a lot of things going on this weekend, especially, as I just said, with Easter weekend. Couldn't really get it done, so I was just like, ah. Moving to Wednesday, don't have a mock draft to do for Monday's show. And we got back from my aunt and uncle's house at about 9. And I was like, ah, let's just sit back and watch some football life. So we watched the end of Bruce Smith's football life and Steve Young's football life. And much like Steve Young before him, we have another BYU quarterback going very, very high in the draft, and it is basically confirmed. It was already, it was almost confirmed this entire offseason. We were all fairly confident that it was going to happen, the Jets were going to trade Sam Darnold, but now we know it to be true. It's not speculation anymore. It happened. Sam Darnold has been traded to the Carolina Panthers, which is awesome move for both the Panthers and Sam Darnold. We laid this out as the perfect destination for Sam Darnold a few weeks ago, or maybe a month ago. It's 
the weeks and months kind of blend together at this point, but we did talk about Sam Darnold and the possibility going to the Panthers with the connections with Matt Rule, who interviewed for the Jets' job before getting the Panthers' job. Robbie Anderson, who was Sam Darnold, one of Sam Darnold's favorite targets while playing for the New York Jets. And Teddy Bridgewater is there, who was the quarterback when Sam Darnold first came to the league for the Jets before they traded him to the New Orleans Saints because Sam Darnold was going to start week one against the Detroit Lions. But now it looks like Teddy Bridgewater is going to be out the door and Sam Darnold is going to get a chance to be a starter, full-time pretty much guaranteed starter for the Carolina Panthers. And I think that's a great move, again, for all parties involved. The Panthers obviously did not fall in love with any quarterback in this draft. And if they did, they feel like that quarterback is not going to be there anymore. And the quarterback that, again, we linked them with a little bit this offseason was Mac Jones, the quarterback from Alabama. They obviously coached him at the Senior Bowl. Carolina Panthers coaching staff coached Mac Jones, though he didn't play in the Senior Bowl. He had a very impressive Senior Bowl weekend during practices and all of that stuff. So what reports are, from what I've read today, and now this is just reports, doesn't mean it's true. Some of it can have absolutely no basis in anything whatsoever. It could just be someone going, oh, you know what, this could stir up something today. <laughs> so Mac Jones, perceivingly being gone by the eighth pick, according to this report, got the Panthers, lit a fire under the Panthers' butts to get the trade over for Sam Darnold, and they didn't really give up a lot for it. I don't have the exact trade specific, uh, trade specifics in front of me right now, but I know it was not a lot. Now, they do have to give him money on his fifth-year option, so I think that's around 19 to $20 million or something like that to give him on his fifth-year option. So, you know what? Good move all around for Sam Darnold. He needed a chance to potentially flourish somewhere else and to rediscover that potential that he had when he was first drafted with the third overall pick in the 2018 NFL draft. Never got a chance to do that with the Jets. Now he gets a chance to play with Robbie Anderson, who he's played with before, DJ Moore, one of the most underrated wide receiver tandems in the NFL, and improving off the line that will get better after this draft is done. And then the best running back in the NFL, arguably the best running back in the NFL, because I know you have fans of you know, Saquon Barkley, Dalvin Cook, Derek Henry, Alvin Kamara. There's a lot of really good running backs in the NFL. To me, Chris McCaffrey's the best one. But with Sam Darnold there, that will help him out immensely because nothing helps a young quarterback more, especially a quarterback that's struggling for confidence, than a good running game or a pass-catching tight end or a pass-catching running back. And with Christian McCaffrey, you've got a running game and a receiver out of the backfield, which is two thumbs up for the Carolina Panthers. And I'm excited to see what Joe Brady, the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers, does with Sam Darnold. Hopefully he doesn't have a lot of uh, PTSD from his time in New York and he's got some confidence still in there. He looked very happy that he made the move, that the Jets moved him on to the Carolina Panthers. And again, that's a perfect move. It made the most sense. Daniel Jeremiah brought up a possible move to the Denver Broncos. But we said here on the Logan Blackman Show, the Panthers were the team that made the most sense if they didn't go after a quarterback in this draft class, which they obviously didn't because they just got Sam Darnold. Very excited. And then Joe Douglas, the GM for the New York Jets, for those of you unaware, he had a press conference, obviously, after the trade happened, 
and got the answer he gave to one of these questions was essentially as close you can get as confirming you're drafting a quarterback as you can get. I mean, they were obviously going to draft a quarterback with the second overall pick anyways, unless they traded for someone else and moved out of that pick, but with Sam Darnold not there, the door is wide open for Zach Wilson. A report from Steve Young, who the quarterback we just talked about, whose football life was on Sunday, he said the Jets have already communicated to Zach Wilson's family and have recruited him and his family to the New York Jets. What we thought was going to happen is now actually happening. So like we said right after his pro day, where the draft starts at number three when that report came out, and Chris Mortensen said that it's Zach Wilson's job to lose, now it's Zach Wilson's job. He won the job. He beat out Sam Darnold for the starting job of the New York Jets. And if you're a Sam Darnold believer, and I know there's a lot of them out there for some (laughs) weird reason, and we made fun of them a lot last offseason, then you probably don't like this move. I think the Jets getting Zach Wilson breeds new life into the organization. You've got Matt LaFleur or Mike LaFleur, one of the LaFleur brothers, I can't remember. Their names are too similar to to remember. And I got hit, my dog hit me in the head, so my brain's a little fuzzy right now, so I apologize for that. But Zach Wilson will fit very well in the offense that they're going to bring into the New York Jets. Robert Sala is there providing some stability, hopefully, from the head coaching standpoint. The offense is going to look better, one would assume. So getting Zach Wilson there, going to draft some wide receivers off to linemen, one, again, one would assume. But you brought in Corey Davis, which is a very good piece of business this offseason. So I'm excited to see what the New York Jets do. And I saw something on Instagram, I think it was, where the over-under for the Panthers' win total is at 7.5 after that recent trade for Sam Darnold. So time will tell. Time will tell. They have the talent on offense, just a matter if Sam Darnold still has the confidence inside there and has that ability still in there that we thought he had when the Jets drafted him with the third overall pick in 2018. And it's kind of funny how all these (laughs) these Jets tweets and fan tweets has started to come out of the woodworks a little bit ever since that trade went down on freezing cold takes on Instagram, especially they live for trades like that, where a top three pick is traded away before their fourth year in the NFL. That's what they live for. And then you see the the culture of the Jets or the future of the Jets is now changed forever with the drafting of Sam Darnold. It's not. (laughs) We're not moving forward with Sam Darnold. And Zach Wilson, I think, has a lot of confidence in himself. He's a lot more effortless thrower than Sam Darnold. I think he's got a stronger arm than Sam Darnold. Athleticism, they're very similar. Sam Darnold's obviously a little bit bigger than Zach Wilson. But I hope for the Jets fans' sake, I'm speaking of this, trying to be from a neutral's perspective, because as a Bills fan, I could care less what the Jets do. I would rather the Jets suck all the time. The Jets are one of my favorite teams in the NFL. And I shouldn't be saying that as a Bills fan, because they're division rivals, but I just love the the constant. You never know what's going to happen with the New York Jets. The obvious is never the obvious for the New York Jets. So because of the Jets, maybe (laughs) there is a chance they don't draft Zach Wilson and instead draft Mac Jones. (laughs) There is a chance because, again, it's the Jets. And the Jets, no matter who is in charge of that team, the, the, the stink of the Jets just absorbs itself into people. It takes hosts. 
And Joe Douglas and Robert Saul, I hope for Jets fans' sake, they don't become victim to Jets syndrome. If you look at all the amazing coaches and GMs they've had and all the amazing draft picks they've had, I hope for their fans' sake, this one works out. They haven't had a franchise quarterback since Joe Namath, and they've had a little, what do you want to call it, sprinklings of a franchise quarterback, at least what they thought was a franchise quarterback, and Chad Pennington, probably the best one. Benny Testaverde for about three years. I mean, Mark Sanchez led them to two AFC championship games, but I don't think anybody in their right mind really sat there and said, this is the franchise guy. As he was on the list of top 10 worst top 10 quarterbacks taken in the first round on Friday. Obviously, that didn't work out. And then obviously in the 90s, which we called the last decade, if you go back and listen to the summer shows when we were going over the top five dumbest things, we might bring that thing back once we get into the summer because then there's a lot less stuff to talk about, so it makes it a little more interesting. But the last decade of the 90s, signing Neil O'Donnell one offseason to be the franchise quarterback or you thought was going to be the franchise quarterback. Brett Favre was not the franchise quarterback he thought he was. He didn't want to be in New York. He just wanted... Uh, one year out of New Green Bay so he could go to a division rival. Because they told him, we're not going to trade you to a division rival. Well, makes sense. Makes sense. At the time, you're the greatest quarterback in their franchise history, arguably, I guess, statistically, not arguably, but for legacy, I guess you could argue. At that point in time, now I think most people would say, it's Rodgers, but you still have the contingency that thinks it's far of people that think it's Bart Starr as well. But I'm going to trade you the Vikings. I'm going to trade you the Jets. And that didn't work out. And then Sam Darnold, we already know what happened with that one. <laughs> it's, uh, oh, man. But I'm ready. I'm ready for the Jets to be competitive. And not competitive like 7-9 they were a few years ago where they won six of their last eight games playing the easiest schedule in the NFL. We're not talking about that. Actually competitive. And I hope Zach Wilson can bring that. Now, there are concerns with Zach Wilson as the fact that he never really played anybody of top quality in college football. And when he did, at times he struggled. Now in the bowl games, those were the times he was the most impressive. As you could argue, the bigger the, the bigger the stage, the better Zach Wilson played, which is another fair thing to say. And Zach Wilson can't control what BYU played this past year. They couldn't control that. They were an independent school, and they basically just took on whoever was willing to do so. Because all of the big-time conferences, the Pac-12, Big Ten, and a few other conferences, axed out non-conference play. So that kind of shafted BYU, in a sense, in regards to trying to figure out a schedule. But they figured it out, had a great season, dominated UCF in the bowl game, and now they're going to have a quarterback taken with the second overall pick. So that's kind of, I mean, I think we already knew this. Do we even really need to talk about the first two picks in the draft anymore? As we said at the start of the show, draft starts with three. But as we get closer to the draft, <laughs> the truth starts revealing itself. And oh man, I am ready for social media to absolutely explode if this happens. So there's a little teaser. And I think if you followed the offseason enough, the NFL offseason enough, and some of the rumors that have been circulating around the NFL this offseason, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about, but I would like to hold off on that for a little while longer, a little, little while longer before we get into the big, big, big debate on the third overall pick in the draft. And I finally got the trade chart 
for the Carolina Panthers and Sam Darnold. Uh, the, this year, the Panthers traded a sixth-round pick, the 226th overall pick. And then in 2022, they've given up a second-round pick, which is projected 48th, and a fourth-round pick projected 121. So the value for that is 473 points. Because if you remember, the, the Cowboys really made this famous of getting draft picks based off points. Now, that one's a little bit outdated. They've adjusted that as the years go on, because if you kept the same thing from the early 90s to late 80s, early 90s, it's not really going to work. There's not a lot of things technology-wise going around from the late 80s to early 90s that are still kicking around. But that's the trade that went down for Sam Darnold. And this is a little good, this is like a little positive note for Sam Darnold. Now, again, there's a first for everything, so you know this might not happen, but Every single QB who is retired and threw a pick six on their first career attempt is in the Hall of Fame. Now, they never posted who the quarterbacks are that have done that, but Sam Darnold, obviously, as we talked about before, threw one of the ugliest pick sixes you'll ever see on his first play, first play of his NFL career against the Detroit Lions. Rolled all the way out to the right, threw it all the way back to the left. Corner jumped the route, housed it, but then the Jets ended up absolutely destroying the Detroit Lions in that game. Oh, man. What what we thought was going to happen is not what actually happened at that point. But, yeah, I've compared Sam Darnold to the likes of Jim Plunkett, who struggled a lot, was on a terrible New England Patriots organization. At that time, they were a miserable team. Jim Plunkett was supposed to be the savior, came over from Stanford, Heisman Trophy winner, and it didn't work out. Then he goes to the Raiders as more of a bit part player at that time, but won two Super Bowls with the Raiders organization. You could also compare him, and we brought him up more times than I was expecting to in this show, but you could compare him to Steve Young as well, who had problems with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. More so internally with the organization, more than Steve Young himself. Obviously, Steve Young turning into a Hall of Fame quarterback and one of the most underrated Hall of Fame quarterbacks by my estimations. So I'm not saying Sam Darnold will turn around and become a Hall of Fame quarterback or two-time Super Bowl champion with the Carolina Panthers, all I'm going to say is it can't get much worse than what it was with the New York Jets. So again, we've said this before, and we're going to keep saying again, I'm really happy that Sam Darnold is out of the New York Jets organization. So welcome Zach Wilson to the family, <laughs> if you want to call it a family. So, yes, let's... Just get, I mean, do we have to hold on anymore? I mean, I don't have really a ton of things to talk about today. It was really just a mock draft centric show today. So I think that's all we're going to really do today. I think we've talked for about 20 minutes, a little less than 20 minutes about Sam Darnold getting traded to the Panthers. I think it's about time we go right into the NFL mock draft 5.0. Now, Daniel Jeremiah released his mock draft 3.0 today. Which, if you're unaware of Daniel Jeremiah, if you want to start following the NFL draft, Daniel Jeremiah is definitely the person you want to be paying attention to in regards to the NFL draft. I would like to point out this, that he's a former NFL scout. He's part of the Ravens organization. I believe he's part of the Eagles organization. He was the one that broke, basically broke the Baker Mayfield topic in the 2018 draft with the Cleveland Browns taking him in the first overall pick. He's the one that also broke the potential, maybe reality, of the the San Francisco 49ers taking Mac Jones with a third overall pick. 
But time will tell on that. I know a lot of people are kind of refusing to believe that at this point in time. But never rule anything out. And we'll talk, We'll defend Mac Jones a little bit. Or not a little bit. A lot of bit. Once we get to Mac Jones in the mock draft. So without further ado, let's go over mock draft 5.0. I'm really excited for mock draft 5.0. It was one of my favorite mock drafts I've done once we finally got it all sorted out. Now there's still some picks that I'm questioning or want to change a little bit. Those don't come till later. Most of them I'm pretty set on. Now there's one trade, which makes me uneasy because I don't like just doing one trade. It, I, it just doesn't look good. But for the sake of this, I was like, let's keep it. Let's keep the trade here. I think it's a realistic trade. I couldn't think of other trades that would actually happen because teams, when you're when you're doing trades in a mock draft, it's very rare that you do trades for other positions other than quarterback. When you're doing trades or trying to come up with trades, people usually go, oh, they're trading up for a quarterback. No one really does mock trades with the idea of trading up for a defensive lineman. Like when the Saints traded up in 2015, or 2015, 2018, everybody assumed when they traded up a lot of picks, they were going to take Lamar Jackson. Who'd they end up taking? They took Marcus Davenport, a defensive end from UTSA, who's had a an average NFL career, if that's being nice. So like you never expect these big-time trades to get moved up for these types of players, but they happen. A lot. But it's just harder to predict that because, like last year, I had the Eagles trading back and taking Jalen Rager, but they ended up taking him at number 21. So, like, you can move all around, but usually just if you're doing a skill position that's not named quarterback, I would just recommend for accuracy purposes, I guess. I mean, it's damn near impossible to get a mock draft 100% right. Actually, I'll say it is impossible, but because you never know what the trades are going to happen. But you can have an idea of teams that will trade back. Maybe not necessarily the teams that will trade up. But it's I'm I'm rambling right now. I'm sorry. We'll get into Mock Draft 5.0. So number one overall pick is Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it's going to happen. There's no denying it. it's the one pick that has been consistent throughout, I think, most people. Now, there's some people that would... Defy the odds, I guess you would say, and not put Trevor Lawrence number one. I don't know who you would put at number one. Maybe you want to be a little rogue and throw Zach Wilson at number one. Maybe you go with Justin Fields at Ohio State, Urban Meyer. Though he never coached Justin Fields, the Ohio State connection drafts him at number one. Maybe Matt Jones, being from Jacksonville, goes number one of the Jaguars, but no. Okay, I think we all know, regardless if you think Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback of the draft or not, which he is, but there's some people like Chris Sims or June Jones, among other people, that rate other quarterbacks higher than the quarterback that's been touted for the number one overall pick since he was a freshman at Clemson. Now, I don't want this to put enough... I mean, he's been the number one recruit. He was the number one recruit in high school. He was the number one player selected in the draft. I mean, he's had these expectations before, but maybe... The Jack, I don't know. I don't want it to crush him because this is a similar situation to that of Tim Couch when he got drafted by the Cleveland Browns. Now, the diff- completely different scenarios with regards to the teams they're going to. The Browns were just starting up, and they the NFL, we talked about this about a week ago, 
the NFL changed the way expansion teams could build their teams. So, like, the Jaguars and Panthers kind of flipped off the NFL and just said, we're going to build super teams, and it had amazing records their first few years in the NFL. The Panthers went to the Super Bowl, I think they're, uh, what, fourth or fifth, sixth year in the NFL? That shouldn't happen with expansion teams. The Vegas Golden Knights did the exact same thing in the NHL. The Browns and the Texans were basically, the NFL was like, oh, well, we're not going to allow that to happen again. So they said, we're flipping off the Browns and the Texans. So the quarterbacks that got drafted there, Tim Couch to the Browns, David Carr to the Texans, were basically lambs to the slaughter when they got drafted. But Tim Couch, like Trevor Lawrence, was touted as the number one overall pick ever since he stepped his foot on a college football field for the first time. And that's what had Tim Couch had a miserable NFL career where fans in Cleveland literally cheered him going off the field hurt. <laughs> it wasn't Tim Couch's fault. The Browns were absolutely atrocious. There was a lot of things going on with that Cleveland Browns team. And it make matters worse, your old team is winning Super Bowls and has Ray Lewis on their roster. <laughs> it's a little, it hurts a little bit. Has Ozzie Newsome as a GM? Like, that hurts. That hurts the soul a little bit, seeing that team, your team, dominate. But it's not your team anymore, and your team sucks. And all their drafts up until recently have sucked. Look at the early Browns drafts. Courtney Brown, I think, was the first player ever drafted by the Cleveland Browns organization. Defensive end from Penn State. But do you guys know who Courtney Brown is? Then Tim Couch was up there as well. Trent Richardson, Brandon Weed, and a 28-year-old first-round quarterback. Are you kidding me? There's other picks in there that I'm not really going to take the time route. The only good one they ever had from that first, what, the first, what, 10, 12 years of their existence coming back to Cleveland was Joe Thomas. I can't think of another first-round draft pick that worked out up until, what, Miles Garrett? So 2017, that was the last time they had a good, for the first time they ever had a good first-round draft pick is Miles Garrett. That's sad. But the Jaguars, they're talk, they've been a mess. Ever since they screwed the NFL system by getting a, a super team when they first came to the NFL, they have been very up and down. There was a stretch where they had top five picks every year, it felt like. And then they had Saxonville for that one weird season, and they were back to picking in the top five again. So I, I don't want to say it's guaranteed that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a beast in the NFL. Nothing is guaranteed in life in general, but especially nothing is guaranteed in the NFL. There's a lot of number one overall draft picks or first-round players that we just don't remember. There's a lot of number one overall picks that did not work out, and they might have had good NFL careers, but not what was expected of them when you're drafted with the number one overall pick. That means you're the best player in the draft. You cannot have a good career as the number one overall pick, you have to have a great career to live up to those lofty expectations. Fair, right, wrong, or otherwise, that's what the expectation is for a number one overall pick. Especially a player of the level of Trevor Lawrence, who has gone to three college football semifinals, two national championships, and has won an Addy. So, I don't know. I don't want to sit here and just crown him as the greatest quarterback of all time. I'm also never going to sit around and call him a bust. I'll never do that. But I just want to 
pump the I don't know to pump the brakes is right because I think Trevor Lawrence is the best player in this draft. I think he's by far the best quarterback in this draft. But not everything works out. We saw Sam Darnold. We talked about him. He was a can't miss prospect. He was similarly the same level as Trevor Lawrence, not necessarily at the college level, but viewed as as a prospect. And then we got the games where he got outplayed by Joe Burrow, got outplayed by Justin Fields. So, you know, there's caught that it's not perfect, but it's as close to perfect for an NFL draft prospect as you can get. And that's even though with saying all of that stuff, that negative stuff about Trevor Lawrence, there is even there's a thousand times more good things about Trevor Lawrence and he will go number one. And I think he'll have a good career in the NFL. But I don't want to say it's guaranteed. And same thing goes for the number two pick with Zach Wilson. I think he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL draft class. He's the most natural thrower that's been widely discussed and widely talked about. And I think pretty much widely agreed upon that he's the most effortless thrower in this draft class. But again, there's concerns about him as well. We've discussed those when talking about Sam Darnold. Didn't play against great competition. When he did play against great competition, he struggled at times. But upside there, athleticism, the way he contorts his body while throwing the football. And it wasn't just at his pro day. He did that at BYU as well. This isn't like, oh, I'm going to show you guys doing this now. I did this already. Like, Zach Wilson can play. And I think he'll be a good quarterback in the NFL. I hope, for again, for Jets fans' sake, I hope he is. He is going number two. The first two picks are locked in. Okay? Trevor Lawrence is going number one. Zach Wilson is going number two. It was Zach Wilson's job to lose before the pro day. Now, sitting here on April 6th, it is his job. He won the job. He beat out Sam Darnold. There were reports that they would keep Sam Darnold while also having Zach Wilson on the roster and then trading Sam Darnold either after what preseason or after uh, offseason training or trade him on the trade deadline. And hopefully he builds his trade value up to not only help himself, but help the Jets organization as well. I don't think Sam really wanted to help the Jets organization. I'm intrigued what Sam Darnold's football life will be when he retires and all the stuff that went on with the Jets, with Adam Gase and all those awesome people. (laughs) Ah, man, but Zach Wilson's going to three. Get ready. This is where social media will absolutely explode if and when this happens. So mentally prepare yourselves, okay? Mac Jones going third overall to the San Francisco 49ers. This is not necessarily what I want to happen or what I would do, but this is what everybody's saying. Daniel Jeremiah, again, is a very connected person in regards to draft circles. He consistently puts out the most accurate mock drafts. Him and Mike Mayock have always done that. Now, Mike Mayock's the GM of the Raiders. Dale Jeremiah, now the head guy at NFL Network for the NFL Draft. He's the one that really started breaking this out. And then you heard Chris Sims, who is a really good friend of Kyle Shanahan's, and then Dan Orlovsky. And then after Kyle Shanahan made the trade, after the 49ers made the trade, he said, we don't need to hide anymore, essentially, while being at Mac Jones' pro day. Now, though people will not like this, I'm not saying people may not like this. No, people will not like this. There's no may about it. It is not going to be liked around the world of social media, especially on Twitter. Good Lord. 
Twitter's going to explode when this happens. Instagram's going to be making a bunch of memes about it. But you know what? If the 49ers feel like, or the 49ers, if Kyle Shanahan feels like this is the guy to lead their franchise forward, then why not get him? There are teams that view Mac Jones in a very high regard. We talked about the Carolina Panthers viewing Mac Jones in a very, very high regard. They coached him at the Senior Bowl. You hear about what Mac Jones' teammates have said about him, not just Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, who rated him better than Tua Tagovailoa, who was a top-five pick. Tua rated him very, very highly. Nick Saban has praised about him. Scouts have praised about him. Like, we're just going to sit here and bash him because, oh, he had weapons around him. That's his fault that he had Devontae Smith. I mean, we didn't say the same thing about Tua last year, who the receivers that Tua played with say Mac Jones is better, and Tua was a guaranteed top five pick, borderline number one overall pick. Tua was also coming off a major hip injury and made and other injuries along his college football career. Tua had four first-round wide receivers on his roster. And Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith. Four first-round draft picks at wide receiver. Mac Jones, to be fair to Mac Jones, really only had one. He had Jalen Waddell for the first four weeks, and then Jalen Waddell fractured his ankle week five opening kickoff against Tennessee. So Mac Jones really had Devontae Smith. And you could bash Mac Jones for utilizing these weapons that he had around him. He could have been bad. Mac Jones broke numerous NCAA records. Mac Jones led the nation in passing yards. Like, we didn't give this big critique on Joe Burrow last year when Joe Burrow broke all of the NCAA records, most notably touchdowns with 60 passing touchdowns. He had two first-round wide receivers. All 14 players that left LSU that offseason got either drafted or signed in an NFL roster. So with Tua and Joe Burrow, why does this using of the weapons hurt Mac Jones, but not these guys? Tua was a top-five pick. Players that played with Mac Jones are saying Mac Jones is better. So by that logic, wouldn't that make sense that Mac Jones would be better than a top-five pick? If he's really better than Tua, then he's, he's by logic, that means he's probably deserving of a top-five pick. Now, I will say, he's nowhere as athletic as, like, any well any of the top-five quarterbacks in this draft. But he's not a statue. He ran a decent 40 time. It's not like he ran a 5-2-40 like Tom Brady or Phillip Rivers. No, he ran, what, a 4-7-9-40? I saw something today, and I know this one's wrong, but... Fastest pro days, according among participating 21, 2021 quarterbacks, they, this is Fox Sports, this was 40 times according to Pro Football Focus. Now, this could be a typo, but it's from Fox Sports' main account. Mac Jones, according to Pro Football Focus, ran a 4-6-8-40. So, if that, that, that could be a typo. Because looking at Mac Jones, I don't see him running a 4-6-8-40. Now he could have. Very much could have. But either way, a 4-7-9 or a 4-6-8, I know that's like a, a, a tenth of a second difference, but that's still a good 40-yard dash time. Out of the quarterbacks in the NFL, what, that's probably average, right? For all the quarterbacks that Kyle Shanahan's had, that's probably the best one he's had in regards to 40 time. 
Like, I know the NFL is going towards this more athletic quarterbacks and we want to do more things with the football in our hands. But Matt Jones isn't a statue. He's a pocket passer, sure, but he can move. Now, he can't slide. That's one thing he cannot do is slide. He hurts himself. It looks like he hurts himself every single time he slides. So that's something he'll probably need to work on by the time he gets to the NFL. But people rate Mac Jones. I don't get the amount of hate he gets. Oh, he utilized his weapons. Well, yeah, you would too. <laughs> it helped him. Mac Jones was a third-string quarterback behind Jalen Hurts and Tua. Mac Jones was also the quarterback where a guy, a five-star quarterback from Matter Day, who's been compared to Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, came in and he beat him out. Mac Jones, after beating out Bryce Young, led Alabama to a national championship game. National championship win. Like, I don't get the hate towards Mac Jones. His preparation is great from everything I can tell. Now, he know he's had the two DUIs or the one DUI, however many DUIs he's had. But the preparation's there. The, the willpower, the self-belief is there. How many quarterbacks out there, college players in general, would be looking at a situation where you're behind two guys that are competing for the starting job in Tua and Jalen Hurts, who are now both starters in the NFL, and go, you know, I'm going to stick it out here. And then you're going to be the starter, presumably, and then a kid decommits from USC and commits to Alabama, who's a five-star quarterback. You're Mac Jones. What? He, why? Who, who are you to beat out Bryce Young? But he did. And then players and coaches have all backed him up on this stuff. I don't get the unnecessary amount of hate Mac Jones gets, I'm sure, again, you don't like him because he's not that athletic. He's not not athletic. Like, I saw this comparison today between Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, who had very similar seasons with each other. And I love Kyle Trask. Kyle Trask is one of my favorite quarterbacks in college football last season. And they did have very similar seasons. But if you compare the two, when they played, Mac Jones outplayed Kyle Trask. Against better competition, Mac Jones thrived, and Kyle Trask threw three interceptions against Oklahoma. Kyle Trask is a statue, as opposed to Mac Jones. Now, I think Kyle Trask has a stronger arm than Mac Jones, but that's about it, if we're being 100% honest here. And again, I would like to stress this. I'm not saying I would draft Kyle Mac Jones if I was the 49ers. I'm just going to sit here and say I will defend Mac Jones if and when this happens, because social media will explode. And I don't want the same treatment that went to Mitchell Trubisky when he got drafted by the Bears second overall, and he went to his first Bulls game and got relentlessly booed by the crowd. He was hated every single second he played for that team, right, wrong, or otherwise. I don't want that for Mac Jones. I don't want that for any player. That's not fun. The player didn't get didn't decide... They got drafted by that team. Like Donovan McNabb got booed by Eagles fans because they wanted Ricky Williams. I don't think Donovan McNabb chose himself to play for the Eagles. I think the Eagles chose him. But we're going to hate on the player now. And then we got Kyle Brady getting drafted over Warren Sapp with the New York Jets. Kyle Brady didn't do anything wrong. He just got drafted. It's not his fault he got drafted. So do not lower the hate levels on Mac Jones. 
Okay? He led the nation in passing yards last season. Yeah, sure. He had weapons around him. All these quarterbacks had weapons around them. Literally all of them. <laughs> the only one that quote unquote didn't have weapons is Zach Wilson. So you're drafting Zach Wilson first overall because he didn't have weapons. Like Chris Olave for Ohio State. He's a possible first round draft pick next year. Oh, Trey Sermon, he's going to be a day two draft pick at running back. Oh, Trey Lance, he didn't play against the top level of college football. He played in the FCS and only started this amount of games. Oh, Trevor Lawrence played in the ACC. The probably easiest conferences out of the big conferences in college football. So, I, I just don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I feel bad a little bit for Mac Jones, but then I don't because he's going to make a lot more money than I will. <laughs> but I would just like to defend Mac Jones a little bit. Uh, four, if the Falcons keep this pick, this is what I'll do. The Falcons, if they keep this pick, will draft Trey Lance. This is because, and we kind of talked about this during the last mock draft I did, it was because the Falcons and the way they view themselves, or from what I can tell Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot, the new GM and head coach, view themselves as, they don't think they're going to have another opportunity to draft this high. You're not going to have an opportunity to get a future of the franchise, at least at this high, and have a quarterback like Trey Lance or even Justin Fields available here. Trey Lance would be perfect for the style of offense that Arthur Smith is going to want to run, learning and maturing from underneath Matt Ryan, who's going to be there for at least two more years, which would be perfect. Phillip Rivers sat for two or three years. Aaron Rodgers sat for three years. So why can't Trey Lance do the same thing? Learn from Matt Ryan. I think it'd be beautiful. Now, I know Kyle Pitts is linked there. I really like the fit of Kyle Pitts there as well. And looking at him in the Falcons' offense would be disgusting. I've seen them linked with trades back, which also makes sense. They got a few needs on the defensive side of the ball that could be addressed by trading back. They're not going to draft a defensive player with the fourth overall pick. That won't happen. I'm pretty confident in saying that. This pick is either going to be Kyle Pitts or Trey Lance if they keep the pick. And to me, the decision for the future would be for Trey Lance because you don't know if you're ever going to be able in a situation like this where you're a top four pick with very good quarterbacks available, you got to do it. <laughs> I mean, and I, it, will, it won't be, you know, the fun move because people are going to want to see, oh, we want to win now, we want to win now. But looking at the future, this would be a very wise decision for the Atlanta Falcons. Number five, the Bengals taking Jamar Chase, wide receiver from LSU. It's really a battle from everything I've gathered between Kyle Pitts and Jamar Chase. And though I would probably lean towards Kyle Pitts personally, I think the connection with Joe Burrow makes a lot of sense for the Cincinnati Bengals. They lost A.J. Green the Saucy. So right now on their roster, they have Tyler Boyd, who's more of a slot guy, and T. Higgins. So you get another outside guy, an alpha dog at the wide receiver position. You got Riley Reef this offseason to play right tackle. Jonah Williams at left tackle. There is a lot of rounds. In the NFL draft, <laughs> there's a lot of rounds. There's seven rounds in the NFL draft. You can get good interior offensive linemen, which is what they need more than a tackle in Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater, who, though both of them could probably slot inside the guard, but they both want to play tackle. You can get a Wyatt Davis, a Creed Humphrey, 
a Trey Smith, a Deontay Brown, maybe a Landon Dickerson, Quinn Miners, all in the day two, all in day two. And you're going to have an early day two pick. So use that pick to address the offensive line. Get Joe Burrow, a guy that he's very comfortable with, a guy he threw 20 touchdown passes to the season before, a guy who, with him, broke almost every single passing record in college football, and Jamar Chase was the best receiver in college football. I think people forgot that because he opted out last year. He was the best receiver on a team that had a guy that was the only person that took away votes from Justin Herbert winning the the rookie of the year this year. And Justin Jefferson. And Jamar Chase was by far the number one guy for LSU. So now, reunite them together. I think that'd be a very cool reunion for the Bengals. And then at number six, we have the Dolphins taking Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida. Again, like we said earlier, a young quarterback who is maybe lacking confidence, like I'm assuming... I'm assuming Tua is lacking some confidence. Now he might, on the outside, breathe a really big amount of confidence. Like, oh, I'm the best. I'm this franchise guy here. But internally, he's probably struggled with some things, especially with some of the stuff that comes around in the papers about his teammates not liking him, his coaches not liking him, players saying he should, people saying he should get traded. They need an upgrade. But he's got the backing of Chris Greer, the GM, and the owner. So he's got that under control. So getting a tight end like Kyle Pitts, who's not even just a tight end, he's a wide receiver as well, the best tight end prospect in years, comes in with uh, Gilsecki already there, Mike Gusecki already there. You have a great two tight end set. You got Will Fuller, Devontae Parker at wide receiver. Drafted two offensive tackles last year. You can dress the offensive line later in the draft as well. Like This is becoming a very nice offense for the Miami Dolphins. And Kyle Pitts would truly unlock that. And the Dolphins, they had a pretty average red zone offense last year. And we talk about this, I think, every time in a mock draft, talking about Kyle Pitts and his his game-changing abilities in the red zone, how he's never dropped a pass in the red zone. That would instantly improve the red zone offense. It would give them another option at tight end or another option out wide. And people want to say, oh, he's not George Kittle. He's more... He's not, he's not the best tight end in the draft because he's not George Kittle or Gronk. So, so you don't like Travis Kelsey? Because that's kind of what he plays like. Antonio Gates? Like, why, why would you not want Kyle Pitts? We made fun of a guy that had Kyle Pitts as the second best tight end in the draft, and it's stupid to say that. You listed him with the tight ends, so he's the best tight end in the draft. Bar, it's simple. Done and dusted. Kyle Pitts the Dolphins would be awesome to see. Number seven, here's the trade. Detroit Lions, there's been reports swirling around recently that they are, of a quarterback is available or falls to us, we won't hesitate to take him. What that says to me is that they want to trade back. They got a lot of needs on their roster. The defense is atrocious. They got no wide receivers. They're going to need some things. And I know they got, I know people want to write off Jared Goff, but Andrew Barry, no, not Barry, is that their GM or is that the Browns GM? Oh, crap. Now I've mixed. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a new GM. He came over from the Los Angeles Rams. Regardless, he came over. He was a part of the scouting team that drafted Jared Goff. Brad Holmes, GM, for the the Detroit Lions. He drafted, was part of the group that drafted Jared Goff. Brought him over to Detroit. 
So I don't think right away they'll go out and draft a quarterback because they got so many other needs on their roster than quarterback. I think what they're trying to do is get a team to trade up with them. And the team that bites, I think, is the New England Patriots. The Patriots, had this offseason, they've done things they've never done before. They spent the most money they've ever had in their franchise history. So now, unlike anything the Patriots have ever done, they trade up into the top 10 for a quarterback. And they get Justin Fields, which is should be illegal that Justin Fields is allowed to play for the New England Patriots. But with how this draft is looking, with Mac Jones going to San Francisco, Atlanta wanting a more developmental piece in Trey Lance, who's probably one of the highest ceilings in the draft, but also one of the lowest floors, so you're going to nurture him correctly in Atlanta. Justin Fields is perfect for this offense if the Patriots want to continue doing this offense they're running right now. He'd be a perfect succession plan to Cam Newton, who's on a one-year deal. The one position they don't have set for the future at this point in time is quarterback. Because if you look past Cam, Jarrett Stidham is not the answer at quarterback. They're going to want a guy to eventually replace Cam Newton. And reports a few months ago said that the Panthers, or the Panthers, the Patriots, really value Justin Justin Fields. They love themselves some Justin Fields is what reports said. Now, if you're looking at this throughout their history, Mac Jones makes a lot of sense with the Tom Brady thing. That's how we dominated the NFL for all these years. But Justin Fields... The Patriots, one thing they do better than anybody is adapt to things in the NFL. They are always adapting. So this offseason, like we just said, they've spent more money than they ever have. Now, they do again. Something they've never done. Trade up for a quarterback. The last quarterback they traded up for was Drew Bledsoe. Or traded up for a draft in the first round was Drew Bledsoe. Then they had Tom Brady in the sixth round. Jimmy Garoppolo was a second round pick. Matt Castle was a sixth, seventh round pick as well. Uh, Jacoby Brissett was a third round pick, fourth round pick, something in there. So Justin Fields and the Patriots just seems illegal, but the I think the Lions are trading back. Whether it's with the Patriots or someone like the Broncos or Bears, I think they're trading back. The Broncos, we'll talk about them in a little bit with regard to their quarterback situation, but I think the Patriots trade up to get Justin Fields at seven. Eight, the Panthers... You can flip these guys around as much as you want. I'll just say both teams now. Panthers at 8 taking Panay Sewell, which means the Broncos at 9 take Rashawn Slater. For Panay Sewell, the Panthers got Sam Darnold. We had this going before the news broke, which is kind of why I was upset why the news broke the day I you know, should have had to show up but didn't. And I had this already typed up, Panay Sewell going there, mostly because of the fact I wanted to put Jamar Chase in Cincy and didn't have a place where I wanted to put Panay Sewell. <laughs> so I was like, ah, we'll trade for Sam Darnold. We'll put that into there now. But Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater, either one, they need a left tackle. They've got Sam Darnold. they got their quarterback. Hopefully Christian McCaffrey's healthy. you got two really good wide receivers, good coaching staff. Panthers are building something pretty nice. Now they also have a need at corner. So look out for a Patrick Tan or J.C. Horn, who's been one of those players that's rising up draft boards. You have that every year right before the draft of players rising like crazy. Like last year was C.J. Henderson. This year it's J.C. Horn. Where we don't know where this player is going to go, but he's going to go a lot higher than what we originally anticipated for most people. But Panay Sewell, if available, it'd be hard for the Panthers to pass on. And for the Broncos, with Rashawn Slater, they have a eerily close 
playoff-ready roster. You look at the weapons they have outside, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, if healthy, KJ Hamler, Noah Fant, Melvin Gordon at running back, a very decent off to line. Garrett Bowles actually playing like a first-round draft pick for the first time in his career. I think he made second-team All-Pro last year, which was ridiculous. The one thing they have a problem with on the offensive side of the ball is either quarterback or right tackle. Now, we'll start with the quarterback thing because that's going to get talked about a lot. Quarterbacks are always very fun to talk about. Quarterback speculation is everybody's favorite thing to talk about. Drew Locke is a very young quarterback entering year three of his NFL career who has had a lot of highs and a lot of lows. I could argue the fact that he was the worst quarterback in the NFL last year, either worst or second worst quarterback in the NFL last year. He had an awful year last year. But that can go down to a lot of the COVID things that went on the Broncos organization along with injuries. That did not help his development in the year three. What I think the Broncos would do, and George Payton, the GM, this is what I think they do. They either trade back with a team that needs a quarterback. So maybe if, let's say, the Falcons ended up trading back, and the Lions are sitting there and they can't get a trade done, so they draft a player. And the Broncos are like, well, Washington football team, Patriots, Bears, come up with us, trade a court, draft a quarterback, we'll trade back, get a defensive player or something like that. But here, they yeah, they got Jawan James last year on a four-year contract, but he's missed a lot of games in the NFL. He got hurt right before the season started, then proceeded to opt out of the season. So that's going to be an issue for the Broncos. They were at, if I remember correctly, they were at Rashawn Slater's Pro Day. I think that'd be a very nice fit for the Denver Broncos. I think the Broncos for quarterback either go out and get a Teddy Bridgewater who has a connection to George Payton who was there when the Vikings drafted him. And then you got like Alex Smith is still available as well. So you got a lot of options at the quarterback position for the Broncos that I don't think they'll do in the draft. Then they got a few other needs on their roster that rank higher than quarterback. I think they still have some belief in Drew Locke, at least Peyton does, or at least he wants to show us that he has faith in Drew Locke. Maybe they're secretly ready for a trade to the Falcons, which makes a lot of sense. Maybe they want to strike a trade with the Falcons to trade up. Maybe that will happen. Time will tell. But for right now, I have them at nine, taking Rashawn Slater to sure up their offensive line, and that this is the last straw for Drew Locke. If he does not work out with this offense that they built for him, it's done. They built, they're trying to build somewhat of a fortress, kind of like the Cleveland Browns in a sense, building a fortress around Baker Mayfield where he can't fail. Drew Locke, time will tell if he can withstand that. The Dallas Cowboys at 10 take Patrick Sertan. With Caleb Farley's back injuries, he's the de facto number one cornerback in the draft. Now some people already rated him as the best corner of the draft. Others, like myself, had him and Farley either at 1A, 1B, or had Farley at number one. But Farley's recent back injury, back surgery, I should say, and injury, have just made him on the best corner in the draft. And the Cowboys have a hole at corner. They brought back Jadobia Wuze. They lost Jordan Lewis this offseason. Or maybe I've got those flipped around. Brought back, yeah, I did. They brought back they brought back Jordan Lewis. Jadobia Wuze went to the Cincinnati Bengals. Now they have Trayvon Diggs on the roster, brother Stephon Diggs, second round draft pick, who they like and had a good year last year before he got hurt. But the, the Cowboys have to do something on defense. If you look at the games when Dak Prescott was there, because those are the games that really only matter with the Cowboys. We're not going to count. I mean, they count for the overall record, but for what we're doing here, we're not going to count that because they're not going to have Andy Dalton anymore. Hopefully Dak, for their sake, is healthy. The games with Dak, other than the first game, which I think was 20-17 to versus the Rams, they were 49-39, 38-31, 
49-38-37-34. The offense can score. The defense can't stop anything. And a big factor of that is they're bad corners. Trayvon Diggs was a good option. But Jadobia Wuze, Jordan Lewis, not really it. Drafting a guy like Patrick Sertan makes a ton of sense. Now, Daniel Jeremiah had them taking Quiddy Pay, the edge rusher from Michigan, which, again, makes sense. I think if Rashawn Slater or Panay Sewell is available, that makes sense. Tyrone Smith has been injured quite a bit recently, so maybe they want to get an assurance policy on that. But I think the best option for Dallas is cornerback, and they partner the two Alabama guys, and hopefully <laughs> stop allowing so many goddamn points. Their offense can score. They just need to stop people. Number 11, the New York Giants, uh, Devontae Smith. I've talked about this before. He's the best route runner in the draft. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. He's the most consistent wide receiver in the draft as well. Reigning Heisman Trophy winner. Scouts from a co- the past few weeks have said that the, they think the Giants are zeroing in on Devontae Smith. Now, they got Kenny Galladay this offseason. Very good get for the Giants. And they have Darius Slayton and Sterling Shepard on the roster, but they're not really... I mean, they're good options, but you could definitely improve on a number two option, or even a number one option, if you think Javante Smith could be that number one option right away, which I have no doubt he could be after seeing what he could do at Alabama. They vowed to get weapons for Daniel Jones. Got Kenny Galladay. Saquon Barkley's going to be back. Now you get Devontae Smith. Now edge rusher's a very viable option here. Trading back's a viable option. Elijah Vera Tucker's a viable option with the release of Kevin Zeitler. But again, much like with the Bengals, the fifth pick, this is a long draft. You can get some good interior off to linemen in the second and third round. So you can wait to do that later. Getting Daniel Jones weapons, much like the other young quarterbacks in the NFL, like we just talked about Drew Locke, building a fortress essentially around Daniel Jones. And hopefully he stops turning the ball over so much. Because he's got the skills, but he can't pay the bills right now. He either is fumbling like crazy or throwing stupid passes. I like Daniel Jones, but I wouldn't, I mean... I like him to a certain extent. I would not want him as my franchise quarterback because I think I've gotten myself a little spoiled with Josh Allen. But I think getting a Devontae Smith would be very beneficial for the Giants. I think Rashawn Slater, if available, would be very hard to pass up for the New York Giants after seeing him him going to the Cowboys, Giants, or Eagles makes a ton of sense. You saw the game he did against Chase Young. Who's in their division? Chase Young. I mean, it'd be very hard to pass that up. Chase Young dominated one rookie of the year, defensive rookie of the year. So, I mean, logic there, picking Rashawn Slater to deal with Devontae, or with uh, Chase Young. But if available, Devontae Smith would be a very nice pickup for the New York Giants. 12 for the Philadelphia Eagles, Jalen Waddell, another Alabama wide receiver. This brings back the connection between Jalen Hurts and Jalen Waddell. And this would mean, if this were to happen... The Eagles would have three Jalens on their offense. Jalen Hurts, Jalen Rager, and Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle, to me, if we're talking about prospect-wise, the second-best wide receiver in the draft. You look at what he did with Devontae Smith there. Obviously, Devontae took off when he was gone. But Devontae Smith, or Jalen Waddle, prior to getting hurt, was on pace to have a much better season than the eventual Heisman Trophy winner. And by many respects, had a better chance of winning the Heisman than Devontae Smith before he got hurt. Now, I don't want to take anything away from Devontae Smith. He had an amazing season, won the Heisman Trophy, deservedly so won the Heisman Trophy. But I like Jalen Waddell a lot. And with the Eagles valuing speed as much as they do at the wide receiver position, 
this would make for a very fast wide receiver core between Jalen Waddle and Jalen Rager. Now, much like Rager, who had some injury concerns last year, Jalen Waddle's coming off a fractured ankle. That could be pretty big. Now, hopefully, for Waddle 6, I really like him as a leader and as a player as well. And his versatility is off the charts. I hope he can stay healthy. I know there's a chance, and there's a good chance this happens. He could flip the 12th pick and the 13th pick, and I'd be fine with that. The Eagles draft a corner. J.C. Horn would be a very logical fit here for the Eagles, who need some help at the cornerback position, have had needs at corner and safety for the past few seasons now. But Jalen Waddell would be very, very hard to pass up for the Eagles. Reuniting him with Jalen Hurts, I know there's some question marks about Hurts, but if you do, if you want to rectify those questions, get him a guy like Jalen Waddell. 13, the charges taking J.C. Horn. Now, I know they have off-to-line issues, or at least left tackle issues. The rest of their O-line is pretty much set, the Chargers O-line. You've got three players in free agency this offseason, and you have Brian Belaga at right tackle. Left tackle is really the only position of need on the offensive side of the ball. The defensive side, they can't stay healthy, and they just cut longtime corner Casey Hayward. And Brandon Staley, who was the former defensive coordinator of the LA Rams, coming in after working with Jalen Ramsey, I think it'd be hard for Brandon Staley to pass on a guy like J.C. Horn. I think this is a perfect fit. If you look at what Jalen Ramsey did for the Rams, I'm not saying J.C. Horn will be that or really anything close, but it'd be hard to pass up on him, especially with the Rams D coordinator as the Chargers head coach. Get enough to tackle later in the draft because, they're again, there's, this is a decently deep off the lineman class. Not incredibly deep, but you get one day two, and you're feeling pretty good about yourself. The Chargers defense has potential, like a lot of potential. They have a lot of very talented players on defense. They just cannot stay healthy. Getting a J.C. Horn to cover a division that has Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Henry Ruggs, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Noah Fant, Darren Waller, like, there's some good players in this division. And I'm not saying he's going to cover Darren Waller or Tra- Travis Kelsey or Jared, or I guess Jared Cook's on his roster, or Noah Fant. But there's a chance. And it can't hurt to have really good corners in a division that has very good wide receivers and other very good skill position players. So Jay-Z Horn, I think, would be an awesome pick. And if he keeps rising up draft boards, he might not even be available by the time the Chargers pick. But if he is... I would love to see him go to the Chargers. 14, the Vikings take Elijah Vera Tucker, the guard-tackle hybrid from USC. Much like Rashawn Slater, very versatile player, played left tackle at USC, now is expected to make the transition into guard. Vikings have one of the worst guard tandems in the NFL in Ezra Cleveland and Dakota Dozier. I'll give Ezra Cleveland the benefit of the doubt because of the fact he came in as a tackle. Wasn't really expected to move into guard, but injuries made him transition more into guard. They cut Riley Reef, so I think the Vikings either look at this as we're going to move Ezra Cleveland back to tackle, or we're going to draft tackle. And defensive end is a very big option here, especially with Daniil Hunter's uh, reported and his anticipated contract holdout. So we'll see how that situation goes. And the fact that the Vikings rush defense la- or the pass rush last year sucked big. But they need off-the-line help. It's something they've needed for the past 100 years, it feels like. The Vikings have consistently had the worst off-the-line, or one of the top five worst off-the-lines in the NFL. They have weapons. 
Well, those weapons are useless if you can't keep Kirk Cousins upright. <laughs> and you can have your differing opinions on Kirk Cousins. He's not a bad quarterback. I don't get why that whole thing started. Keep him upright. Get Elijah Bear Tucker, who's the next best offensive lineman available. Play him at guard or tackle, and he'll instantly improve your offense. He can play both. If you want to move Ezra Cleveland back to tackle, do that. He can play guard. If you want to keep Ezra Cleveland at guard, move out Elijah Vera Tucker. That's an improvement. Or if you just want to straight up replace him with Dakota Dozier, that'd be perfectly fine as well because I got a few Vikings friends that hate Dakota Dozier. So Elijah Vera Tucker or Quiddy Pay, I think make a lot of sense for the Vikings, but I just their off the line sucks and has for years. It just makes it... As a Vikings fan, I would want my off-the-line better. Most teams want their off-the-lines to be better. Vikings have just refused to do that over the years. I go, I know the comment of Mike Zimmer saying this is the worst defense he ever coached. We've noted that numerous times. And the whole Jeff Gladney circumstance, I'm not going to get into that right now, but there's a chance they draft one of the top corners because of that, even though they have a Cam Dantzler and now Patrick Peterson on the roster, maybe they get a corner. Time will tell. Time will tell. But now... I'm going with Vera Tucker. The Lions at 15, Micah Parsons, their defense sucks. No no way around it. Their defense is awful. I know they have no wide receivers, but this is a historically deep wide receiver class. If you're a team that needs a wide receiver and they don't draft one in the first round, do not worry. This is a very deep wide receiver class. We've gone over the second and third round draft picks you can get, but like Amon Ross St. Brown from USC, Diami Brown from North Carolina, Tylen Wallace from Oklahoma State, Amari Rogers from Clemson, Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan, Tutu Atwell from Louisville, possibly Terrace Marshall from LSU, Rondell Moore from Purdue, uh, Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Is there any more that I just can't, I'm not thinking of at the top of my head? Maybe Elijah Moore slips in the second round. Probably not, based on the way his draft stock's looking right now, but time will tell. Like, there's so many good wide receivers in this draft class. And those are guys that are not going to get drafted day one. Those are insane wide receivers. And there's even more that I could talk about, but I just don't have anything in front of me that lists wide receivers. I can't remember any of their... Those are the ones I can remember off the top of my head. That's how good this class is. You don't even need to look at a piece of paper to know how good this class is. You can just rattle off names like that. So with the, the Lions here, got to take a defender here. Micah Parsons just seems like a Detroit Lions player. If you look at the numbers, uh, the Lions defense this is from last season. Possessed the worst defense in the league, ranking dead last in total yards allowed, 6,700 yards, giving up 400, basically 420 LOL yards per game. A dead last in points allowed, 519 points, giving up 32.4 points per game. That's ridiculous. To go along with the points allowed now, there's no other team in the NFL allowed over 500 points. The Alliance allowed 27 more points than the next closest team in the points given up total. The Jaguars gave up, I have the number on here, 492 points. 27 points separated the worst and second worst defense in the NFL. That is three points under the Jaguars' average of giving up points. So you had to play a whole nother game to equal the Lions points total. <laughs> like, their defense is bad. Very bad. And linebacker is one of those positions where if you're a do-everything type of guy like Micah Parsons, who is a 
normal stand-up linebacker and a standard middle linebacker, but can also play as an edge rusher as well or an outside linebacker as well in a 4-3 defense, or maybe he's an outside linebacker in a 3-4 defense or an inside linebacker or whatever. He can do everything. He's an absolute beast at linebacker. I know he's got some character concerns or whatever, but he's an absolute beast of a linebacker. He opted out last season, so it's kind of a similar situation to DeMar Chase. We kind of forgot how good he was, but he's a beast. And the Lions need defensive help bad. Micah Parsons would help rectify some of those. I'm not saying he's going to solve all the issues on the Detroit Lions defense, but he's going to help solve some of the issues. There's a lot to go around, but he can solve a couple of them. He'd help in the rush defense as well a lot. One of the worst, if not the worst, rush defense in the NFL. He would help in that. He would help in the pass game as well. He's a very athletic linebacker that can make plays all over the field. He would help the Lions defense. Now, if they want to go with an edge rusher, quitty pay, keep a guy in Michigan, that would work as well. Or if they want to go with one of the other linebackers, because there's two or three that also will get drafted in the first round. We'll talk about those guys in a little bit. 16, the Cardinals take Caleb Farley. I just saw today they got Malcolm Butler, who was just cut from the Tennessee Titans. He's now on the roster. But, man, he lost Patrick Peterson. Caleb Farley, he could drop a little bit farther than this because of the back situation he's having, where he had surgery on a bulging disc, for those of you who are unaware of the situation. But his talent is too good. I, it's going to be weird to see how far he drops, because he could fluctuate anywhere from 16, or maybe 9, to the Broncos, because the Broncos have talked to him quite a bit before the surgery happened. 9 to about 30. He has got the widest range of where he could go in the entire draft. (laughs) 9 to 30. That is, what, 21 picks (laughs) between where he could go. There we are. It's basically blindfoldedly throwing a dart a dartboard and hoping it lands somewhere like just hoping it sticks but if he's a he will be available here probably the cardinals it'd be hard to pass him up he's got too much upside he's a very raw corner he has so many good attributes for a corner that it would be so hard to look at that and go oh it's hard to pass him up back injuries are tough those are the hardest injuries to really fully recover from I know they don't have a long recovery time, but if you mess it up once, you are at a very high risk of messing it up again. Arian Foster is a prime example of that. He was a great running back, but kept having persisting back issues, which led him to retire. I hope Caleb Farley doesn't have that, but I just think a fit with the Cardinals would be very, very good. I, I like the fit there. They need Elbert Corner, the last Patrick Peterson. I know they got Malcolm Butler, but he was on a very bad pass defense last year. Getting a guy like Caleb Farley would be awesome. For the Cardinals. 17, the Raiders take a Jeremiah Wosu Koromoa, my favorite, one of my favorite players in the draft, my favorite defensive player in the draft by far. He is a do-everything linebacker by every sense of the word. He's a little undersized. Came in at his pro day at what? I listed the size down. 6'1, like 221 or something like that as pro day, which is not very big for a linebacker. But I specifically remember John Gruden, as the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, having an undersized linebacker who was a safety linebacker nickel corner hybrid and doing fairly well with him winning a Super Bowl with him if I remember correctly and uh Derek Brooks one of the more underrated players in NFL history Jeremiah Wosukoromo I'm not saying because when you when you say a player's name like a legend like Derek Brooks you don't want to say oh I think they can become them no I'm not saying that he will become him but he has a similar 
skill set to that of Derrick Brooks. And with Gus Bradley as the defensive coordinator for the Oakland Raiders, Las Vegas Raiders, now I didn't even do that on purpose, Las Vegas Raiders, he's going to want a linebacker that can cover, and out of all the linebackers that will be taken in the first round, Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa is the best cover cor- best cover linebacker in this draft. He's the most athletic linebacker in this draft, and I think it would be an awesome, awesome fit for the Las Vegas Raiders. They need help at linebacker. He fits the mold of what Mike Mayock and John Gruden have drafted together, and just a Raiders player in general. Freak athlete, and he goes to a, went to a big-time program in Notre Dame. It just fits. They have a history of overdrafting players, Cleveland Farrell, Damon Arnett to be specific, but I don't think this is an overdraft. I think this is a perfect place for Jeremiah Wosu-Koromo to go, and I'm excited to see where Gus Bradley would play him on defense, because Gus Bradley likes to morph players around on defense, so I would like to see where he goes on this. Number 18, the, the Miami Dolphins take Quiddy Pay, edge rusher from Michigan. He's got a very high ceiling out of the dredge rushers. Where he lacked in production, like compared to the other edge rushers in the first round, the projected first rounders, he did not have a lot of production. His career high in sacks is six and a half. Like that's not an incredibly high number of sacks. But he has an extremely quick get-off. He's the, he's the fastest edge rusher in this draft. If the Dolphins draft him, this would be going off his athletic gifts, which is a fair thing to do. And some people out there have credited his lack of production in his, him being played out of position, essentially. Now, the, Vi- the Dolphins did end up cutting Kyle Van Noy. They also traded Shaq Lawson away. So there is a need at edge rusher. For the Miami Dolphins, Quiddy Pay uh, varies on who you think the best edge rusher in this draft is. Quiddy Pay, Gregory Rousseau, Jalen Jalen Phillips, all kind of rotate in there. This is not a very like amazing edge rusher class. If Jalen Phillips wasn't didn't have as much health concerns as he does, then he would probably go a lot sooner than where I have him going. I still have him going in the first round, so don't worry, Jalen Phillips fans out there. But Quiddy Pay would be a nice little fit for the Miami Dolphins and help establish some sort of edge presence, especially in a division that has Josh Allen, Zach Wilson, Cam Newton, and maybe Justin Fields. Be very smart to get an edge rusher like Quiddy Pay, who can chase down all those guys. 19, the Washington football team select Christian Derrissaw. Nice little feel-good story here. Christian Derrissaw stays home. He's from around the D.C. area, stays home, gets to play for his hometown team. Be awesome. They need some help in the offensive line. It's not necessarily like their biggest need on the team. They have a need at linebacker and safety as well. So Trayvon Motry, Javon Davis, and Zayvon Collins are all very viable options here. But Christian Derrissaw, I think, fills a need that they haven't filled since Trent Williams had, since he ba- since he left. The San Francisco for the San Francisco 49ers. They haven't had that left tackle, and whoever their quarterback is, I don't think they'll address that in the first round. I don't know if they'll trade up for one. I think they can get some good quarterbacks in the second round. I feel like Kellen Mond would be a nice fit here, but I've also heard him linked to the Bears as well, so time will tell on where Kellen Mond goes. But, I, but Christian Derrissaw will be hard to pass on for the Washington football team because they do need a left tackle. He is a hometown kid. It's going to be hard to pass up. They put a lot of time and effort into their defense. Maybe it's time to do something on the offensive side. They got Terry McLaurin. They got Curtis Samuel this offseason. So 
add a nice little edge rusher, or edge rusher, a guy to stop <laughs> edge rushers in Christian Derrissaw. Number 20, the Bears taking Greg Newsom, the second from Northwestern. He's another guy that's had his draft stock raised pretty significantly ever since the dra- mock draft season, quote-unquote, started. He went from basically a second, third-round guy to a guaranteed first-round guy now. And the Bears, after cutting Kyle Fuller, who was a two-time Pro Bowler, one-time first-team All-Pro cornerback for the Bears, one of the main cogs in a very good defense, him, Roquan Smith, Eddie Jackson, Khalil Mack, I don't know why I said him last, but those are the main guys in their defense. Fuller's gone. Now he's on the Broncos, which I think is a really good get for the Broncos. Vic Fangio reunited with Kyle Fuller. But now they have a hole there. I think there's a good chance they could get a guy like Tevin Jenkins here or if Christian Derrissaw is available, they take him at 20. Wide receiver might be an option here, but I think they're more likely to go after the corner than the wide receiver. They have a great defense. Why not replace a guy that was very, very important to your defense? It's not like it's some random corner. Kyle Fuller was a very big part of the Chicago Bears defense, so replacing him would not be easy but getting a guy like Greg Newsom will help, help would hopefully mask the loss of Kyle Fuller. Number 21, I had Gregory Rousseau going here last time, but I have the other Miami guy, Jalen Phillips, going here this time. Injury concerns the only reason why he's not getting talked about a little bit higher. He he retired from football two years ago. He's at UCLA, retired, and then transferred or just went to Miami, and then now he's back in the first-round conversation. He's kind of past Greg Rousseau in regards to the top, one of the top edge rushers in this draft. The injury concern is the only big issue here. Similarly to Montez Sweat, who was drafted by the Washington football team two years ago, very similar situation here, where we don't really know where he's going to go. But unlike Montez Sweat, who is a heart issue, Jalen Phillips has had a ton of injury issues. But he showed off at his pro day, had a good season at Miami last year. He has put himself in a very good position to get higher, drafted a lot higher than what he probably would have expected two years ago when he was retired. Because if you're retired, you don't really get drafted very high because you usually don't get drafted at all. The Colts need edge rushers. I know they need a left tackle to replace Anthony Costanzo. They can get those in the second round, or they could get a guard and then move Quentin Nelson out to left tackles. That's been talked about quite a bit this offseason. But getting a guy like Jalen Phillips would be huge for the Indianapolis Colts. In a division that has very mobile quarterbacks, or very athletic quarterbacks. Number 22, the Tennessee Titans. I'm giving them Kadarius Toney from Florida. They have a need at corner. Yes, I am well aware of that. I gave them Greg Newsom last mock draft I did. This time, I'm going to give them Kadarius Toney. They lost this offseason Adam Humphreys, Corey Davis, and Jonu Smith. Those are three big-time receivers for the Tennessee Titans. We're all on different teams now. They have A.J. Brown there. They have Derrick Henry there. That's it now. And I'm not, that was not, it's not bad options to have. A lot of teams would kill to have options like that, just as two options. Hell, what would the Jets have done for that option when Sam Darnold was there? But Kadarius Toney is a complete... He's just a complete football player. He does everything. His 40-time wasn't, like, mind-boggling, but he's another prime example of 40-yard dash time is completely different than actual football speed because he's one of the most electric football, electrifying players on the football field with the ball in his hands. Whether he's playing running back, wide receiver, quarterback, returning kicks, anything, 
He can make a play out of absolutely nothing. And that's what I think would be awesome for the Tennessee Titans. They had to partner that with A.J. Brown. That'd be awesome. That'd be absolutely awesome to see. Now, I his draft stock kind of varies. Going from the Senior Bowl, he was talked about pretty much guaranteed in that 19 to 22 range. Now it's kind of fluctuating a little bit, but I still rate him very highly because of his athleticism and his amount of electrifying plays he can make for an offense. If he's available for the Titans, it'd be hard not to take him here. The Jets at 23, I've taken Gregory Rousseau, the edge rusher from Miami. Robert Sala, former defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers, I'm guessing we've had this discussion quite a bit, and this really will decide on who the Jets take as an edge rusher here, or if they take a corner, which that's a big need as well. They're going to take a defensive player with their second pick. They get Zach Wilson the first pick. They're going to take a defensive pick with this next one. And if they stick with the 3-4 defense, which I don't know how likely that is, they'll probably go with the Zizo Jolari. If they go with the 4-3, which is what he ran in San Francisco, Gregor Rousseau would be the guy. He's got similar length of that with the Forrest Buckner, who they had great success with. Now they play different positions, but the length is still there. Eric Armstead had great length as well for the 49ers under Robert Sala. Their defensive line, as he was there, was the longest it felt like in the league at all times. Gregor Rousseau is the longest edge rusher in this draft. In the one season he played, he finished second in the nation in sacks with 15 and a half, right behind Chase Young. If he played last year, he probably would be talked about as the best edge rusher guaranteed in this draft class. But the fact he didn't gives us mystery flavor, mystery factor in this. But probably switching to a 4-3 defense again, he would be awesome to have. Partner up with Carl Lawson. Lawson, they have themselves a nice little edge rush duo. With the New York Jets. Rousseau, Lawson, Quinnen Williams played like a first-round draft pick last year. They're looking good. Jets defense looking a little better. The Pittsburgh Steelers at 24. Have him taking Tevin Jenkins, the off tackle from Oklahoma State. We've had him here before. The Steelers, what they've always done throughout their history is run the football. They've always liked to run the football. you got Franco Harris. You have Jerome Bettis and Le'Veon Bell. The three coaches of the Steelers' history have all had running backs. <laughs> Very good running backs. The Steelers right now would like I'm they would love to reestablish that. They have no offensive line to help establish that. Marquise Pouncey retired. Matt Filer went to the Chargers. Alejandro, Alejandro Villanueva is not coming back. Those are three starters in the offensive line that are gone. That are not coming back. So I think you come down to two options here for the Steelers. Tevin Jenkins or Landon Dickerson, the center from Alabama. Those are two very good options for you. But Tevin Jenkins, with his time at Oklahoma State, carving holes for Chubba Hubbard who rushed for 2,000 yards led the nation in rushing yards and touchdowns that'd be a nice fit and the, with the era of swing tackles where coaches are starting to train these guys up to play both sides of the offensive line Tevin Jenkins could easily slot to the left side and be perfectly fine I don't think there'll be an issue slotting over from right to left whatever he is because he played right tackle at Oklahoma State he could play both I don't think there'll be an issue here now if they want to draft Landon Dickerson That'd be cool. If you want to draft an edge rusher or linebacker, that's another need as well. They lost Bud Dupree to the Tennessee Titans this offseason. So getting someone to replace him wouldn't be the worst idea as well. So I am going to stick with my Tevin Jenkins one, but there's a lot of other options the Steelers could do because they have a lot of holes on their roster. Jacksonville Jaguars at 25. Trayvon Morig, the safety from TCU. 
He's going to be hard to pass on. This is the first time I have changed this pick the entire draft season. I've had them taking Christian Barmore from Alabama, the D-tackle from Alabama. But every time I look at and hear rumors, it's all leading and pointing to Trayvon Morick going to the Jacksonville Jaguars at 25. He's a do-everything safety. He's been compared to Derwin James when healthy. He's the best free safety in this draft. He's also a player that can make plays closer to the line of scrimmage. He can do literally everything. The Jaguars have drafted some young defensive players in recent years. Taven Bryan, the oldest one. Then you got Kalevon Chison, C.J. Henderson. Now you would have Trayvon Murray. And then you have Josh Allen's there as well, the linebacker from Kentucky. Like they're starting to try to rebuild their defense. Trayvon Moore is going to be a nice position player to have here who can do everything in the secondary, which would be awesome for the Jaguars, even though they're going to need some help in the rush defense as well. But this rush, this defense tackle draft, there's not going to be a lot of them taken in the first round. You're going to have an early second round pick. So maybe you can get one of those top guys, Levi on Rizuki. Uh, you got Christian Barmore that could fall there. Davion Nixon could be there. Jay Tufel from USC could be there. There's a lot of different options you could do with the second round of the NFL draft. Like, if you don't draft a player or a position that you wanted in the first round, do not worry. This is a very deep draft class. Last year's was deep. This one's very deep. So you'll be fine. With whoever your team drafts, you will survive. I believe in you. I 100% believe in you. So Trayvon Morig, I think, would he just be an awesome pick for the Jaguars to take. Number 26, the Cleveland Browns, Jamin Davis the linebacker from Kentucky. He's been the one that's rising up draft boards as well. When I typed this up the first time, I had him going to the Raiders because there are some reports that are heating up about him going second of the linebackers right after Micah Parsons, but I couldn't do it to myself to put him above Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa. Jamin Davis put on an absolute show at his pro day. And I, know, I know pro days aren't everything, but he put on a show as pro day. Six foot three, two hundred forty, three hundred thirty-four pounds. Ran a four three seven forty. Had a forty-two inch vertical and had a broad jump of eleven feet. That is a very impressive pro day for a linebacker. You don't see that kind of stuff coming from linebackers. I know the Browns could do with an edge rusher. They don't have really have one outside of Miles Garrett. But this is a draft where. You might have to get one in the second round. I mean, you could easily get one here. Zijo Jolari is available, Joe Tryon, Jason Owe, Ronnie Perkins, Carlos Basham, Patrick Jones. There's others I haven't even mentioned, but there, there, you can get some good options in round two. But Jamin Davis and a team that needs linebackers to let Joe Schobert and Christian Kirksey just leave and didn't really replace them, this would be a good option for the Cleveland Browns here. An athletic linebacker. Could do everything a little bit bigger than Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa, but similar style of skills. And he's housed 85-yard pick six before. So, I mean, he's got the actual football speed in there as well. So, I really like the pick. But you could go with any of the top edge rushers, Oway, Tryon, Ojolari, one of those guys could easily go to the Cleveland, and I'd be fine with it. Christian Barmore is an outside shout as well. But I think you're either going to edge rusher or linebacker with the Browns pick. 27, the Ravens take Aziz Ojolari. Uh, they run a 3-4 defense. They lost Matthew Judon and Yannick Ngakwe this offseason to the Raiders and the Patriots. Got to replace them. We can't go into the season with no edge rushers. That's that's just what we can't do. The Ravens 
This just feels like a Raven style of player. Great athleticism from the outside linebacker position and had production compared to the other edge rushers available in this draft, the top guys, other than Patrick Jones, who won't be taken in the first round. It'll be probably a he'll be a day two guy. I don't know if second or third round. It, it fluctuates between Patrick Jones. But Ojolari, eight and a half sacks, was the most out of the guys taken in the first round in my mock draft. So that just feels like a Raven style player. Again, wide receiver. I know it's a big need. But you can get a good wide receiver in the second, third round. We've already rattled off a good list of wide receivers that you can take in the second round. Ravens don't need to worry about that in the first round. They need an edge rusher. They don't have any of them. They run a 3-4 defense. Ojolari is a natural outside linebacker. He can play in a 4-3 defense. He has played in his hand in the dirt at Georgia. But as a natural outside linebacker, this would it's just a perfect fit for the Baltimore Ravens. Production, athleticism, everything screams Baltimore Ravens pick with that one. 28, the New Orleans Saints. I was stuck between either a corner or with the guy I picked, but I couldn't decide which corner I wanted to do. There's a few corners that are kind of mushed together for me in regards to like Asante Samuel Jr., Asante Samuel Jr., Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, Elijah Molden, Aaron, Aaron Robinson from UCF. The uh, Syracuse dude that I, can, I can't pronounce his name, so I'm not even going to try because I'll butcher it. There's a lot of corners that kind of mold together in that for that position, that number five spot. I think the top four are pretty much set, but that fifth spot has got a lot of options here, so I don't want to nail down one yet. I think Zayvon Collins is another option here for the Saints. Christian Barmore, another option for the Saints. But I went with Elijah Moore, the wide receiver from Ole Miss. They have only Michael Thomas as a go-to wide receiver. They lost Jared Cook. They lost Emmanuel Sanders this offseason. I think Elijah Moore would fill in right where Emmanuel Sanders was, do a very similar style of play, very similar style of game to Emmanuel Sanders, and be a nice number two option, and also provide the Saints with versatility. He had an amazing season last year in eight games, or however many games he played. He had three games where he had over 200 receiving yards. Absolute baller. Like he balled out. He had 143 receiving yards against Alabama, who had a corner drafted in the first round, top 10 pick in the draft. Like he put up great numbers. He had the most yards per game in the NCAA last season. He's a beast. And he's been one of those guys where his draft stock's been on the rise recently, and he's looking like a borderline lock for a first round pick. Where? I don't know. But I think the Saints would be a nice option here. They got Jameis Winston, Taysom Hill as their quarterback. They'd like some other options other than Michael Thomas, who is basically out the entire season due to a lot of different things. Elijah Moore would be a very good option for the New Orleans Saints. The Green Bay Packers stuck between two people. This is one of the situations where I'm stuck between two guys. Zayvon Collins, the linebacker from Tulsa, and Landon Dickerson, the center from Alabama. Landon Dickerson, if it weren't from his ACL injury, would be a guaranteed first-round draft pick. Now, his recovery process, his recovery time is a lot going a lot better and a lot faster than what people expected. Look at the cartwheels he did in Mac Jones' interview after Alabama's pro day. Yeah, he's the best center in this draft when healthy. The injury thing obviously lowers him a little bit. His Him and Creed Humphrey are the two best centers in the draft. The Quinn Miners is also up there as well. Depending on who you ask, they're all going to be rotating as the best center. But I think or second best center, because I think Landon Dickerson is the best one. 
if he's healthy. The Packers this offseason, they lost Corey Lindsley, a guy Aaron Rodgers really liked, signed the biggest contract in center history playing for the L.A. Chargers. So they got a hole there. Zayvon Collins would fill a hole at a lot of different positions on defense, would add depth at outside linebacker, could play inside linebacker as well. He is a linebacker in a defensive end's body that has the skill set of a safety. He could do everything for the Packers' defense. But I think their offensive line depth really got found out towards the end of the season last year, and it was a big reason why they ended up falling out of the playoffs the way they did. So I think they could go after a guy like Landon Dickerson to fill that hole left by Corey Lindsley. They have one center on the roster, former sixth-round draft pick. I wrote his name down, but I can't. I'm not going to look for it again. <laughs> but that's the only center on the roster. Bakhtiari is going to be out probably early in the season because he's coming off a torn ACL, which he injured in practice. So if he's healthy, Dickerson's healthy, you've got yourself a very talented off the line up there in Green Bay protecting Aaron Rodgers, who would like to see some sort of commitment from the Packers. And I know Packers fans will want wide receivers. They'll probably want a cornerback in there as well. Linebacker, another need there. But this will help keep Aaron Rodgers upright and give them a long-term center for the future. It's not a wide receiver. No, it's not. But it is a very important position on the football field. He's a massive center. He's like six foot six, which is very big for a center. It has he he will be an impact guaranteed day one start for the Packers and instantly improve their off the line. So now at 30, we have the Bills, Najee Harris, line, uh, the running back, might, might as well say linebacker, running back from Alabama, beast of a running back. Bills got all their big name free agents back. So that kind of narrows down what they're going to do in this draft. I think it's down between running back and corner based off what I can tell. I don't know if they'd go after an interior lineman now with Star Lutalele coming back. So I don't, an edge rusher is also going to be a big, big talking point here as well. But I think though they brought Matt Breda in, I just think to unlock this offense even more than it already is, getting a guy like Najee Harris who can catch the ball in the backfield is an absolute bruiser running the ball. He's just smaller than Derrick Henry. And you saw what Derrick Henry did to Josh Norman. You would want a guy that could do that to other defenders. Six foot two, 230 pounds, is a freak athlete, can catch the ball in the backfield, can do everything you ask of the running back position. Very similar to that of Le'Veon Bell. Bigger guy, but can do everything you ask of him. He would fill everything the Bills are looking for in a running back. He'd be perfect for the Buffalo Bills. Now, I love Travis Etienne, but I think if available, out of the two running backs, who do I think is going to get taken in the first round? Who's going to get taken first? If I had to bet, I would say Najee Harris would go first out of those two running backs. Some people would like to say Javante Williams in there as well, the running back from North Carolina, but I'm going to say it's between Harris and Etienne. I'll give the edge to Harris. The Bills have said that if he's available, at least reports have said, I guess the Bills haven't come out and said this, but if he's available, they will think about taking him, and I think they need to think long and hard about it because though edge rusher and corner will be very big talking points, Najee Harris would be a game changer for the Buffalo Bills offense, which is already one of the best offenses in the NFL. Number 31, the Chiefs take Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame, the left tackle from Notre Dame. Jalen Mayfield I've typically had in the first round of the NFL draft, but I think the Chiefs, 
the difference between Eichenberg and Mayfield, Mayfield has started 20 games in college. Liam Eichenberg's a three-year starter at left tackle for Notre Dame. There's a little bit of a difference there. Now, Jalen Mayfield, or wait, no, he's 20 years old now. I think he's played like 14 games or something like that. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Go look back at my old mock drafts to see the numbers, because I do have them written down in my mock drafts, but I can't remember what they are. Three-year starter at Notre Dame. He is the only only left tackle in this draft, or the only tackle in college football, right, or left tackle, that didn't give up a sack on 400-plus blocking snaps. That was 56, and he gave up on 500, that, to give an exact number, 500, four, geez, 455 pass-blocking plays gave up zero sacks. So that means he gave up, 50, he was present on 56 more pass-blocking plays and still gave up less sacks. That's similar stat to that of the Lions versus the Jaguars in point scoring. <laughs> he can play one more game and not equal the Lions' points given up that season. But man, Eichenberg would fill instantly. They cut Eric Fisher. They cut Mitchell Schwartz. They got Austin Blythe today, center guard from the Rams. They got Joe Tooney from the New England Patriots. So they've got two good off to linemen. Now they need tackle help. Liam Eichenberg would fill that need, and if he were to get drafted in the first round, this would be four straight starting left tackles at Notre Dame getting drafted in the first round. You got Zach Martin, who's now a guard but played left tackle at Notre Dame, as we talked about before, Ronnie Stanley, and Mike McGlinchey. Now we got Liam Eichenberg. So that we got four straight left tackles getting drafted in the NFL in the first round by Notre Dame. That'd be pretty impressive. And I think for the Saints, keeping Patrick Mahomes upright should be priority number one. I know they have other needs on the roster, but tackle should be their main target here. And then 31 with the Buccaneers, stuck between two people again. It's between uh, your boy, Christian Barmore, and Zayvon Collins, the linebacker we talked about earlier from Tulsa, do everything linebacker. We've talked about him. Let's go with Barmore first, or Barmore because we've already mentioned Zayvon Collins. We don't need to do that again. Barmore is a big dude. As you would expect from most interior defense alignments, six foot five, 300 plus pounds, can get after the quarterback and clog holes in the run. The Buccaneers, surprisingly, brought back all 22 starters. I'm not surprised that they came. Uh, what I'm surprised about is they all took reasonable contracts. I was expecting at least some of them to get paid this offseason, but they all came back. All 22 starters from the Super Bowl came back. All of them are back. So this will be a basically draft best player available thing. So this is all whoever the Bucks think the best player available is or what they think would help them the most. I think Barmore would help them the most because of the fact they did bring back Ndamukong and Sue, but he's 34 years old. Add depth there at the defensive line will be a very smart thing to do. He could play a 3-4 defensive end because Vitavea is obviously the nose tackle as he's 350 pounds. But Zayvon Collins could play outside linebacker, add depth there, or play inside linebacker as well. So it's just a matter of who they view as the best player in the draft or either Levi Onruzuruki from Washington, the D-tackle there, or Joe Tryon, another Washington guy. They like themselves some Washington guys. So, yeah, it's just best player available strategy for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, which is not a bad strategy to have, especially since you brought every single starter back from a Super Bowl championship team. That's a very, it's a very nice strategy to have. So it's between Collins and Barmore. But that is Montraft 5.0. I really like Montraft 5.0. I enjoyed this one quite a bit. Even though it's delayed, I am happy 
that we did delay it because I really like this one. So you've got reading over it again. Number one, the Jaguars take Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson goes second to the Jets. Mac Jones surprisingly goes to the 49ers at three. The Falcons take Trey Lance at four. The Bengals take Jamar Chase, reuniting him with Joe Burrow. Kyle Pitts goes to the Dolphins at six. Justin Fields to the Patriots at seven. Then you got Panay Sewell going to the Panthers at eight. Rashawn Slater to the Broncos at nine. Patrick Sertain, Sertan going to the Cowboys at 10. Devontae Smith going to the Giants at 11. The Eagles taking Jalen Waddell, getting the three Jalens on their roster at number 12. Chargers taking J.C. Horn at 13. Vikings take Elijah Vera Tucker at 14. They got the Lions taking Micah Parsons, linebacker from Penn State at 15. Cardinals taking a shot at Caleb Farley. Hopefully his back is fully recovered by that point. Raiders take Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa to help fill a big need on defense, add some athleticism on the defense. 18, the Dolphins take Quiddy Pay, the quickest edge rusher in the draft at 18. Christian Derisaw, left tackle for Virginia Tech, goes to the Washington football team at 19. The Bears take Craig Newsom to replace Kyle Fuller at 20. Then at 21, you got Jalen Phillips to help get some sort of an edge rush again for the Indianapolis Colts at 21. Hopefully he can stay healthy. 22, the Tennessee Titans take Kadarius Toney, the wide receiver from Florida. The Jets at 23 take Gregory Rousseau, the edge rusher from Miami. The Pittsburgh Steelers take Tevin Jenkins, the tackle from Oklahoma State, helps stir up the running game and protect 39-year-old Big Ben. At 25, the Jaguars take Trayvon Morig from TCU. The Browns take Jamin Davis at 26, the linebacker from Kentucky. The Baltimore Ravens take Aziz Ojolari, the edge rusher from Georgia at 27. The Saints at 28 take Elijah Moore from Ole Miss. Green Bay Packers at 29 take Landon Dickerson to fill the hole left by Corey Lindsley and help protect Aaron Rodgers at 29. 30, the Buffalo Bills take Najee Harris, the running back from Alabama. The Kansas City Chiefs at 31 take Liam Eikenberg, the tackle from Notre Dame. And the Buccaneers at 32 just take the best player available, and that's either Christian Barmore or Zayvon Collins. Whoever you ask, they'll take him. at Whoever you think the best player at, 20, at 32 is, Collins, Barmore, whoever, that's who they'll take. So that is Mock Draft 5.0. I, again, I think Mock Draft 5.0 was a great success. I'm very happy with Mock Draft 5.0. It's a little awkward because it's got only one trade in it, but that's whatever. I enjoy it, so that's all that really matters, right? I hope you enjoyed it as well. Take the time to go through every pick. If you didn't read it yet, I recommend going to LoganBlackmanShow.com, which will be linked on my Instagram and Twitter and Facebook accounts. If you haven't followed those, go ahead and do that already, or do that now, I guess. So, yeah. That's all I've got for you today on this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Sorry I took a little break on Monday, but it was much needed, but it was nice to be back. Good to be back. Yes. So this is your boy, Logan Blackman, signing off. I will see you guys on Friday. Peace.